All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tacovas want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tacovas is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hopefully this is the last time you hear this ad, because with Chime Checking Account, features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts. Or at least grab yourself an extra morning latte this month. Join millions of Chime members who work on their financial progress with fee-free overdraft and no monthly fees. When you find new ways to save, you can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com Goals24. That's Chime.com Goals24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. Welcome to the Barnyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard. Yes, it's Friday. Hope it's a payday for you. i tell you this. Now that school is back in, I look forward to Friday so much. I do. I've got a young man that will be driving himself to school sooner rather than later, but i got to get up and bring him now. And so I really look forward to Saturdays because I don't have to set an alarm clock. There, to me, there is nothing more irritating than having to wake up at the sound of an alarm clock. I know many of you feel exactly the same way I do about that. It's so much better to wake up naturally rested and so refreshed. I hate it, man. I do. And you got to go to bed earlier and that sort of stuff too so you don't wake up and just be you know, in a fog the rest of the day. Pretty crazy. But it is the weekend, and of course, no college football for us to watch. That's behind us now. It makes me sad, it does, but I look forward to college baseball. We're going to talk some baseball later in the show. Now it's basketball time. We're going to focus our efforts on uh, basketball. Mississippi State with a, with a big win on Wednesday, not big in the opponent perspective, but big in the fact that it's a game we had to have. We got it done. We're going to talk about that. And, of course, a big game in the Humphrey Coliseum against a really good Alabama team. A team that we're capable of beating. This team's capable of blowing us out, too. But Ben Howland, it's kind of been a mixed bag with, uh, with Alabama. You know, we have struggled at times over there, but we've found a way to play pretty well over here at times. And so we'll see how it goes. It's not always a great matchup for us, but uh, we're going to talk about that kind of in depth. The Mississippi State women 
course, had the midweek off, and the news breaks earlier this week. Doug Novak had tested positive for COVID. He released a statement through the university, said that uh, he did test positive for COVID, but he was asymptomatic and was uh, quarantining from home and in isolation. And so, you know, we'll see how things progress. You know, there, there are some changes that are happening in some leagues in relation to COVID testing. You know, the NBA basically has come out and they're changing their policy. And, of course, their, their policy in recent weeks has allowed some Mississippi State, some former Mississippi State players, to be uh, the recipient of 10-day contracts. You know, Craig Sward, chicken, right? Uh, and Quindary Weatherspoon. And Quindary Weatherspoon ends up signing a two-way deal with Golden State after it's all said and done. So, obviously, some of our folks benefited from the old policy. But uh, now that it's getting you know, a little deeper into the season – they're making some adjustments. And I think that you're going to see some other leagues kind of tweak things too. You know, we've had some issues, you know, in college athletics where they didn't always make a lot of sense. You know, last year you had all the contact tracing and all the things that went along with that. And so then they tweak that a little bit. So we're kind of learning on the fly. But it is frustrating for all of us, you know, when, you, when you've got these things going on. But at the end of the day, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. It's not like it's a decision that anybody made, even though there are some protocols out there that don't always make a lot of sense, but there are some changes being made. So I don't know what that means as far as the women go, as far as getting players back. You know, that they test, you know, the positive players and those that were exposed to ensure that they're ready to return to play. And so when that happens, I guess we'll see. But a uh, big game coming up, Ole Miss women's basketball playing really well. Blew out Alabama last night. They're playing well. They could get us. They absolutely could. It's going to be interesting to see how that thing matches up. Doug Novak has proven to be a very good coach, very good motivator. So I don't count the Lady Bulldogs out in any way whatsoever. So hopefully, you know, we're close to full strength. Hopefully, Rakia Jackson is back. Hopefully, uh, others are ready to roll. But uh, it's a big weekend for sure. You know, that's the thing, too. We've kind of grown accustomed to beating Ole Miss and women's basketball. And you knew at some point they kind of get it together. But we don't want the streak to end. It didn't end last year. We were a very vulnerable team last year. We win the game here, a game that we were handily ahead, and then we allowed a big run late and give Ole Miss some credit for not quitting. They came back and made that thing very, very interesting late. And then, of course, the game at Oxford got canceled. They could have got us last year. They didn't. So the streak still stands. It's been a long time since a senior basketball player on the women's side of Mississippi State graduated without being undefeated against Ole Miss. It's been a while. Been a while. So the reality of it is, is we'll get it taken care of. We'll get here and go play some basketball and hopefully can uh, can win a couple games this weekend. Let's thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company. I loved them before they loved me. I did. I was probably among the first 1,000 customers at Bulldog Burger Company. You know, waited for them to get open for a couple days, you know, kind of get settled. We went in there and had a great time, and it was busy. It was. But the food was outstanding, and I had the Bulldog. That is the good entry-level hamburger. You go in there, you have that, and say, hey, I like a good restaurant-quality hamburger. You eat a lot of fast-food burgers, and you know they're not nearly as good. So I went and had that. I was like, hey, this could work. And then you see these other burgers out there, and you think, wait a minute, there, there are things out here I haven't experienced. Well, I have had the Bulldog Boneyard Burger Challenge. I've eaten every hamburger and gave you guys a review. You may remember that. And uh, our good friend Tom Manyard, God rest his soul, Tom did the same thing too. 
Tom followed behind me and said, I'm going to do it. And he did it. Fantastic. So when I speak to you about Bulldog Burger Company and their fine cuisine, I'm not just reading a script. I'm speaking from experience. It's not a bad burger on the menu. There's not. You can have pretty much what you want. I am a pimentology ad bacon guy when I get a burger because the menu is kind of diverse there too. There are a lot of times like when I'm really wanting to eat fresh, I'll go have that BLT salad, get it grilled. Me and my cousin Chuck Jordan ate there a while back. That's what I had. Couldn't finish it. But I always save a little room for that shipwaste donuts bread pudding or that chocolate shake. You should too. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive right here in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and of course the brand new one, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridgeland Flowood area. And no matter what you do, no matter what you order, no matter where you ordered from, you get those spring rolls for your appetizer. They will make you and everybody around you better looking. All right. Before we get into Alabama, let's talk a little bit about the victory that was Mississippi State. 88-72 winners over the University of Georgia. Bulldogs improved 11-4, 2-1 in the SEC. Georgia, really, really in a bad spot. They're 5-11, 0-3. They gave us some trouble earlier. Uh, you know, Cario Aquendo, I think I called him Aquendo. It's pronounced Aquendo, had a big ball game. He, had, he was only one of seven from three-point land in the SEC. He hit a couple against us, but he had 28 points. He was outstanding. He really was. And they actually held a 36-35 lead at the break. And I started getting all these texts and messages. Man, we better not lose this thing. We better not lose this game. And even though the game was tighter than I felt it should have been, I just kind of felt like we'd be okay in the second half. And we were. And Iverson Molinar takes over. We have an outstanding second half. 53-36 is the differential there in the second. We win 88-72. But, again, we knew that they were going to be a team – that was going to shoot a lot from the perimeter. We did a better job defending the perimeter, and you you guys have heard me be critical of our perimeter defense for the better part of seven years. Georgia, 6 of 20 from three. Uh, Noah Bowman hit a couple of big threes early for them that kind of of spurred them along. He ends up 3 of 10 from beyond the arc. So he's half of their production from a shot selection standpoint, and then only 30%, you know, which – I guess that's pretty good over the course of a season. But uh, in a ball game like that, that's a lot of long rebounds. Georgia also really good from the line. They did a good job of getting to the line. They did a good job of converting there. They were 20 of 25 from the free throw line. But defensively, they were a mess. They had a real big problem. Uh, Hallen, Iverson, Molinar off the dribble. We did a really good job there. Uh, and Iverson Molinar really, you know, the difference in the ball game. And what's ironic, too, you think about State should have had an advantage in the post. Georgia actually out-rebounds us, 37-35. So let's look at these uh, Bulldog numbers. Iverson Molinar, 28 points, an outstanding effort from him. And the thing that about Iverson, where I think that he has made the biggest gains, he's always been a guy that never seems to get elevated emotionally. But later in ball games, he is so comfortable taking the shot. He is so comfortable with the ball in his hands when the clock is winding down. He is the mature guy. He is the guy late in ball games. You know, I think he can almost score at will. In some respects, it reminds me of Timmy Bowers. You know, late in ball games, if Timmy had the ball, I felt like we we're going to score. That's kind of how it feels now with Iverson. It hadn't always felt that way. You know, he's always been kind of a cool customer. 
Uh, but the reality of it is, is that he is a guy that, um, you know, has just simply become the guy. He has become the face of this program. State needed to get a win, and uh, he was very instrumental in doing that. 34 minutes of action, 11 of 18 from the floor. Knocks down a three, five of six from the line. Seven assists, just one turnover. Even had a block, a couple steals, and, of course, a 28 points. Cameron Matthews, you know, he reminds me a little bit of Brandon Vincent. You guys remember him from the Red Warriors team? You know, the guy that did all the grunt work, the guy that would set the big screens, the guy that would get in there and rebound, the guy that would be the defensive stopper. That, while they're not – the build is not the same, the mentality is the same. You know, Cam Matthews is kind of like, you know what, I don't even have to score. I just want to play. I want to shut down their guy. That's my contribution. Well, he gets double digits for you this time. 29 minutes in the starting lineup again, five of six from the floor. Now, and some of those are putbacks, right? He even jacked up a three. He missed it, but uh, pulled down four rebounds. Actually dished out four assists, a couple blocks, three steals, and ten points. I will take that stat line from Cameron Matthews every single day. Because if we're getting double-digit scoring from Cam Matthews, it means we're probably having a pretty good day on the glass. Shaquille Moore, we're really starting to see him mature and settle with this lineup. Guys, ultra-talented. 29 minutes, not a great night shooting, just three of ten from the floor. Did knock down a couple of threes on six attempts. Pulled down a couple boards, had eight points, a couple steals. But, again, it's kind of like you, you need other scoring options. And that's the thing that I think makes this team rather interesting is you don't have three or four spots on the floor that you don't expect offensive production to. Again, kind of Cam Matthews is a bonus guy. You're not going to run your offense through him, so when he contributes, you're happy. But, you know, Shaquille Moore is a guy that uh, you can run some plays through him, and he's going to convert. Really good around the rim, too. When he, when he elevates, he's the guy that finishes. Uh, DJ Jeffries, you know, we, we know what we're kind of getting with him. I'm still waiting for him to have that big breakout game, though. You know what I'm saying, where he just kind of elevates the team around him because he is a guy that's capable of going off and putting in you know, 20 points a game. He has that kind of ability. This offense sometimes probably you know, slows that a little bit, but he is a guy that's capable of having a big ball game. Still waiting for that. Perhaps it comes this weekend. 28 minutes of action for him, 3 or 7 from the floor, five rebounds all on the defensive end. Did get into a little foul trouble. Did get four fouls, but uh, was able to stay on the floor. Uh, three blocks for him, too. And one of them was very emphatic. Uh, you know, if there had been uh, people on the sidelines, you might have had to duck for cover. Kind of a statement there from him. Seven points for him. Garrison Brooks. Again, I'm kind of waiting for Garrison to have the big breakout game, too. And, and th- there's the talk to Tolo Smith to be back against Alabama. That'd be big. I think Garrison benefits from that, too. Garrison, 26 minutes, just four points, pulled down four rebounds, got a couple fouls, uh, did get four blocks on the night. But, again, still kind of waiting for him now that we're in SEC play. It's one thing to go out there and post a double-double, you know, against uh, Mississippi School Math and Science. It's nothing to do it against an NCAA tournament team like Alabama. So, again, I think the potential for us to play our best basketball still lies ahead. Javian Davis, we got really quality minutes from him. And uh, really proud with his efforts. I thought that he played really well and played within himself. There are times that uh, under the glass he'll get a rebound and kind of throw up an old by a shot. I thought he really played in control, and his numbers reflect that. Five of seven from the floor, uh, two of three from the line, pulled down six rebounds, two of those on the offensive side, just the three fouls, but 12 points. 12 points in 19 minutes off the bench. That will work right there. 
That and you know this this one this weekend means a lot to him. Uh, Anderson Garcia, I thought another guy that uh, really elevated his game with Tolu being out. Uh, Twelve points, excuse me, uh, ten points in just thirteen minutes of action. Four of four from the floor and two of three from the line. Pulled down four rebounds. Did have some turnovers. We got to clean those up. But again, quality bench play for Mississippi State. Rocket Watts, he's another guy that's very explosive. Went on a little run there where he just kind of took over the game there for a couple possessions. 12 minutes of action for him, uh, seven points. So this is kind of where we are. Uh, Again, we beat a team that we should beat and probably let them hang around a little more than we should have. But the reality of it is we win the game by 16. Uh, You're not going to blow many people out in the SEC. This doesn't happen very often. But you protect the home court. You get the dub. Now we're moving ahead. We talked about how important it was to get off the two-and-one start in the league. We've done that. And, again, I still believe this is an NCAA tournament team. And uh, Joe Lenardi agrees with me. You know, it looks like right now we're, you know, we're probably, you know, five or six teams. There's probably between us and uh, being out of the tournament. We just got to keep playing. And we need to get a quad one win somewhere along the way. And we're going to have plenty of opportunities to do that uh, starting this weekend. So let's take some time now. Let's look at the University of Alabama. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y dot com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. You got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You have keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. 
Got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight, camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient. It's safe. It's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. Alabama, good basketball team. You know it. You know it. It's as sure as I'm sitting here. Tip off tomorrow at 5 p.m. Uh, Central. Auburn really handled uh, the pressure of playing that rivalry game this week. They beat uh, Auburn wins 81-77. So let's look at what Alabama's done to date. They're 11-5 and overall. I, w- I don't think they've played a real challenging schedule, to be honest with you. I mean, it's like, you know, I say that. Uh, the early part, I would say the early part of the year, the November schedule was not very challenging. December was a little different. December, they kind of got in the deep water a little bit, made some statements early on. Uh, so they they opened again in November with wins over Louisiana Tech, South Dakota State, South Alabama, and Oakland. So you're 4-0 and you get into um, those Thanksgiving tournaments. They lose to Iona. That was a surprise. They bounced back to beat Drake in Miami. And so felt pretty good about where they stood, probably dropped a game they shouldn't. And then they beat number three, Gonzaga, in Seattle, 91-82. That'll get your attention. And then they beat Houston, a very good Houston team in Houston, 83-82. Excuse me, beat them in Tuscaloosa. And then they go on the road and lose at Memphis. Lack of consistency, to say the least. They bounce back and they win by six against Jacksonville State. So a pretty good run right there. You know, the early part of December – then they lose to Davidson, 79-78 in Birmingham. Not a good way to close out the non-conference. And so you look at their schedule and you say, yeah, they did challenge themselves on a couple of games, but they lost some games they shouldn't. They open up with a 73-68 win over then number 14, Tennessee. They go to Florida and beat those guys 83-70. Then they lose last weekend at Missouri, 92-86, and maybe you, you haven't heard, but uh, Missouri has already announced a coaching change with their men's basketball program. Fresh off a of W, you know, so you know, we'll see what happens with all that. And then, of course, they lose to Auburn. So they have lost two in a row, including that 81-77 game to Auburn. So they're a team, obviously, that will come in, uh, you know, pretty determined. And you go back and look, it's three of five now. And so – they're not a team right now that you say has a lot of juice, but they have been – they're ranked in the top 25. They're a team that's very capable. Now, let's kind of go inside the numbers here, look at what's available to us on the uh, Alabama website. You know, one thing that I'll point out to you guys too, and I looked at this number earlier, Alabama 13th in the country in offense, averaging 82.1 points a game, actually tied for 12th nationally. That's pretty impressive, right? 
Yeah, so 1,314 points on the year. That'll get it done. Only a handful of teams have scored more points this year than Alabama has. Alabama second in the SEC in scoring only to Kentucky, who has only outscored them by seven points in the same number of games. So this is a team that's going to get out and score offensively. We're going to have to play good defense. And that's when we have played well against Alabama, it's when we have kind of made them play in the half court and kind of play our game. You let those guys get out and run, let them spot up. You kind of just chunk it from the cheap seats. You know, they'll, they'll beat you. They're a team that uh, is capable. Now, of course, they've lost some players, you know, from what we've seen the last couple of years. And a lot of people probably feel that Alabama may be a little bit ahead of schedule. They are not exactly the team they have been. And because the personnel hadn't exactly been maybe on par with what they've had the last couple of years, things have kind of changed a little bit offensively. They're a little more likely to get out and go. You know, used to they would just kind of go get a couple of passes and jack up a three, and more times than not it went in. And they were a team I thought played really well. Once they got you on the ropes, they could finish you. Once they got some juice – they found a way to kind of put you away. And, again, looking at the numbers this year, you know, from the perimeter, it's just not what it has been. There were times it seemed like everybody on the floor was capable of going in there and really just kind of putting putting a hammer to you, you know, from three-point land. Th- these numbers will surprise you. Alabama, a team that has lived and died by the three, ranked 251st in the country this year in three-point shooting percentage, 32.06%. Mississippi State doing much better than that. And, and in case you're worried, uh, interested, I mentioned it's 251. There are only 350 schools in Division I basketball. Oddly enough, number 349 on the list, Missouri, a team that just beat Alabama. Missouri, a team that, that can't hit, hit from outside, beat a team that normally kind of builds an offense around that. So, you know, perhaps this matchup favors us a little more than it has in recent years. I know they absolutely killed us uh, in the tournament. So let's look at some of these individual numbers. As a team, we mentioned Alabama scored 13-14. They've allowed us 11-91. So that's an 82.1 to 74.4. So you're right there, nearly eight points difference between Alabama and their opponents in scoring differential. Uh, Three-point percentage, I mentioned that before, uh, 32.1%. They're only allowing 30.1%. It's pretty close there, but it shows that Alabama's willing to get out and defend the perimeter. You know, it may be a situation, too, where opponents have just found more success on the interior. We'll see how things progress in that respect. Uh, rebounding, they're pulling down 40.4 boards a game, allowing 36.4. So pretty pretty even, but again, it favors Alabama. A four-point or 4.0 rebounding margin advantage for uh for the crimson tide assist 237 for 14.8 per game they've allowed 195 12.2 turnovers that's been a real factor 211 turnovers for alabama opponents committing just 206 so it's pretty even but you'd like to think when when you play some of these non-conference teams you'd be able to generate a lot more turnovers and so they have not been able to do that so Per game, 13.2 turnovers for Alabama and then 13, 12.9 for Alabama's opponents. Steals, they're not real handsy on defense. They forced 112 steals and allowed 113. So, you again, kind of the same thing. Blocks, this is where it's interesting. 
82 blocks for Alabama, and then 62 for their opponents. You know, Mississippi State has some length on the interior, so we'll see how that kind of progresses. Will they be able to get to the rim? Will Mississippi State be able to kind of force them to use more of a mid-range game? I guess we'll see. Jaden Shackelford leads the Crimson Tide, averaging 16.1 points per game, number five on your scorecard. It's also a guy, too, that's pretty active on the glass. Second on the team with 95 rebounds. Pretty impressive, to say the least. Jaden Shackelford is a junior guard from Asperia, California. Javon Quinterly, 15.4 points a game. Not quite as astute as a rebounder, but a guy, too, that shoots it pretty well. 42.6 uh, you know, from the floor. And Quinterly, a six-foot-one six guard from Hackensack, New Jersey. Look at Alabama with a national footprint for basketball recruiting. Who knew, who knew that? Keon Ellis is, uh, started all 16 games this year. He's a guy, too, that we'll get after you a little bit, too. 193 points, averaging 12.1 points per game. Also leading the team with rebounding at 100 rebounds. Nine blocks, 30 steals. Keon Ellis, a guy from Eustace, Florida, Leesburg High School. Charles, and I'm, I think that's, and I'm, you ought to apologize, Charles, if you're listening to the show. I know you're not, but it's uh, Charles Bediaco. Did the best I could. Somebody I'm sure will correct me. He has started all 16 games for them as well. Not the great scorer, just averaging under seven points per game. Uh, but a guy that's uh, a freshman out of Brampton, Ontario, seven-foot center, could be one of those guys too, kind of like Abdul Adu, that uh, doesn't always fill up a stat column. But he does lead the team in blocks with 28. But how many shots has he altered on the interior? Probably a guy you want to go get into and uh, get him in some foul trouble. So big seven-footer from Canada. Interesting numbers, to say the least. Now, looking at three-point shooting, Shackelford is the dude. 133 attempts this year, has made 51, 38.3%, uh, which leads the regulars kind of considerably, too. Keon Ellis, 34%. Uh, Darius Miles is a bench guy for them. Has played in 15 games, hadn't started any. He's uh, shooting about uh, 35%. And their team also, too, that, you know, they're going to be long and athletic. They're going to be guys that can kind of make plays without, you know, running a the play. They're, they're a team that's going to be able to get out and move. So we're going to – our perimeter defense is going to have to be good, but also our transition defense is going to have to be good. They're a very guard-oriented team. You know, so we'll see how things, you know, go for us. But uh, I absolutely love the fact that we're playing a meaningful basketball game. And, again, there's this whole segment, you know, of – you know, my heart that I think about, you know, the, the years we had when we were competing for the SEC West Championship back when we had divisions. I still think doing away with the divisions was stupid. But, uh, you know, it, it, I don't think in any way has it gotten us any more teams into the NCAA tournament. You know, it's like, oh, well, this is what works for everybody else. Well, I don't think it's worked for us. And I think any times you can crown a champion, it's a good thing. Give you something to play for. We had some legendary battles with Alabama. Rick Stansberry, Mark Gottfried. And I long for those days. And you, for those of you that were there and you remember senior day, we had to beat Alabama to win the West. 
Charles Rhodes comes out and kisses the emblem to start the game. It was an incredible game that Mississippi State won. We win the West, and there was so much euphoria. We felt like, you know what, we've got a chance to go do some big things. Things didn't work out for us in the tournament. But we had an incredible atmosphere here in Humphrey Coliseum. We had a lot of belief in our basketball team. And we had familiar foals in Alabama. We just didn't like those guys. You know, I, I don't know that we look at this and feel like, hey, Alabama's a rival now. Even when Ole Miss comes in, you know, we, we get some decent crowds, but there's still not that – there's not that bitterness because we don't feel like maybe we're playing for as much. And so I think, you know, you, you get a dub this weekend, you beat Alabama, a team that's a quad one team, you put yourself in a really good spot. I think we would all you know, kind of agree to that. The next week would be really important too. They all are important. But uh, you beat Alabama, and then you get ready to head down to Florida. You, know, you got a chance to go pick up a, you know, a road dub. Anytime that you can win on the road in this league, it is a big deal. Looking at the SEC basketball standings now, we mentioned Florida. Guys, they're 0-3 in the conference and 9-6 and overall. You, you beat Alabama this week. You have a winnable road game at Florida. And then you have Ole Miss coming in here next weekend. Should be a big crowd. And that's the thing that I think about, too, exponentially about that crowd size. You win this week, then you beat Florida. Then all of a sudden, people are like, hey, we're going to beat Ole Miss. I'm going to turn in and go check the game out. So you got a chance to really build some momentum. That's what I think Saturday is about. It's not just a game. It's not just another game in a schedule or a chance to get a quad one win. You got a chance to kind of spark a run right here. You got a chance to kind of get some separation. Let, I don't want to get the car before the horse, but let's say we find a way to win those three games. Now all of a sudden you're five and one in the SEC. And 14 and 4 overall. Now all of a sudden you got some juice. You got some buy-in from the fans. And I think this team is capable of doing that. And I, I say it every time we talk about basketball. I don't know that anybody in the media has been more critical of, of Ben Howen. But the adjustments that he made in that second half against Georgia, to me, shows the guy can really coach. Again, and I mean Ben Howen doesn't need my seal of approval. The guy's got three final four appearances, right? But when that game got tied against Georgia. You made the adjustments, and you got it done. The second half was not close. And Iverson Molinar did whatever he wanted to do. Whatever he wanted to do. And you don't, you don't think Georgia recognized that and said, okay, well, they're going to let Molinar take over the game here. Well, of course, they started doing some things defensively to try to slow him down, but State countered and did some things offensively to get the matchups they wanted to get him in space, give him the opportunity to get to the, get to the rim and finish and get to the line. So, again, it's a chess match there, and Ben Howland won it. And, yes, Mississippi State is more talented than Georgia. Is Mississippi State more talented than Alabama? That's the big question. I think at worst, we're even with those guys. And I think on a good day, we're better than those guys. And I think we're capable of winning this ballgame. Now, I say that, and we may look up and be down 25 points. Call it a feeling you know, call it the fact that we probably played a little bit better. And, of course, let, and let's be honest, too. If we had lost to somebody other than Ole Miss in the manner we did last weekend, it probably wouldn't have stung so much, right? It would hurt, 
But the fact that we lose to them, especially since they're not a good team, you know, they're they're a very mediocre team. And so you lose that game, and so that kind of you know skews your perception a little bit. You come back, you beat Georgia, and now all of a sudden, if you find a way to beat Alabama, now all of a sudden, you know, the sting of that Ole Miss loss begins to fade a little bit. Because that's really more about our pride rather than our positioning, right? I mean, honestly, we know we're going to drop a game or two in the SEC. You know that. But losing to those guys, especially when we know they're pretty much an average team, it just makes it hurt that much more. But all of a sudden, you start putting some things together, put together a little run, and this is where we've got to kind of start getting fat. These are the games, if we really want to prove that we're an NCAA tournament team, we've got to win. And then you've got to go down to the O-Dome and you've got to win that thing down in Florida. Then you come back up here, and all of a sudden you've got a pretty raucous Mississippi State crowd kind of ready to get after Ole Miss. So, again, we'll take it one game at a time. But uh, I think State can get it done tomorrow. I, I really do. I think we can get it done. They, again, they've lost two in a row. They're going to come in a little bit desperate. We're going to get their best shot. But I think that we, you know, I think we have figured a few things out. Now, I, unless they run the 1-3-1, right, and I hate to be negative, but the reality of it is, is I think that, you know, we are capable of winning this game. And I think some of the things that we did against Ole Miss were, were really more of what we did rather than what they did. They ran the 1-3-1. That gave us some trouble. But there were some other opportunities we had to convert, and we didn't. And in the second half against Georgia, we did. We did convert those opportunities. And I don't think, that, you know, you can look at it and say, you know, well, Georgia and Ole Miss, Ole Miss should be a better team. I, I think they're pretty comparable talent-wise. Now, I think Ole Miss is clearly playing a little bit better basketball. But there's always going to be talent in the SEC. There is. And we got to go out on Saturday and find a way for our talent to beat Alabama's talent. All right, time for today's top ten list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's Close, C-L-O-S-E, CloseWithBlair.com, B-L-A-I-R. People have hit me up recently. Hey, Steve, what's that website again? CloseWithBlair.com. Blair has been my friend a long time. He's in the mortgage industry. Blair is the guy, too, that uh, wants your business. And one of the reasons that he wants your business is because he knows that he can get your loan closed. He didn't just want to take your application. He just didn't want you to go get your house appraised. He wants you to get your loan closed. He wants you to get your equity working for you and consolidate some debt or perhaps go buy a home. Maybe you want to get a second mortgage and do some things. Maybe you want to put in a pool. Maybe you want to do some landscaping. Maybe you want to add an addition onto the home. Maybe you want to just retool everything. He's going to give you the resources to do that. Visit him again at his website, CloseTheBlair.com. And here's the deal. By being a loyal Boneyard listener, and it doesn't matter who you play for or who you cheer for, if you listen to this show and you mention to Blair you heard about him on the Boneyard, he's going to pay for your appraisal. It's about a $500 value. A lot of fees associated with getting mortgage loans approved without question. Anytime that you can save a little bit, it's a good thing. Give Blair a call or text today on his personal cell number. That's 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. And be sure to tell him that you heard about him on the Boneyard. It's closewithblair.com. All right, today's top ten list. I could have sworn we have done this list. Roy has checked the list twice and says we have not. And we've had some requests for it, but we're going to go ahead and knock this one out today too. We're going to talk about one of the greatest pop icons in music history. 
I was alive to watch this young lady's uh, maturation and kind of rise to stardom. And uh, she became one of the biggest superstars in the world. Also considered by many to be a very controversial artist. And much of that came, you know, some of it was in the songwriting, but a lot of it came with the videos on MTV. And it doesn't, not just being provocative or, uh, you know, in various stages of undress, but she really challenged some notions and some belief systems in the United States that made her a lot of enemies. We're talking about Madonna. Now, there are a few things that I want to talk about uh, with Madonna. Number one, you know, I, I don't listen to anybody's music because I care about who they voted for. It just, it, it just doesn't register with me. It just, it just doesn't. I know many of you are, are hardline, uh, you know, on one side or another political spectrum. You're like, oh, well, I can't vote for him because or I can't listen to their music because they voted for this person or they endorsed this person. You know, I think life is too short and death is too certain uh, to deny myself the opportunity uh, to enjoy art because of political differences. You may feel differently, and that's perfectly okay. I don't really like to talk politics on the show or really in life. I have a lot of strong opinions. I just don't share them all publicly. But, you know, Madonna was one of those kind of people that she kind of irritated people. On purpose. You remember the um, Like a Prayer video? Like there were people that made moves to get the Like a Prayer video banned from MTV. You know, there was, uh, you know, there was this whole interracial romantic dynamic that a lot of people in the United States weren't ready for. Madonna really challenged that. And uh, there were some things, you know, involved in the church, in the Catholic church. You know, it's like she was defiling the temple. And a lot of people didn't like it. And that wasn't just like a publicity stunt to get attention for the first time. You know, she had already made, you know, a lot of people uncomfortable, you know, with some of the songs that she had written. And we look back in hindsight, and a lot of that stuff seems kind of silly. Now, I'm a firm believer in you, you, know, you got to keep the temple holy and sacred. So I don't know that I agree with, uh, you know, dancing around inside a church. And that's not necessarily an agreement in, in any way a criticism of Madonna. I've seen some other rock videos and things like that that were there in churches. I just think that's, that's a little bit over the top. But Madonna was somebody that definitely was a fashion icon, and um, everybody at some point had a favorite Madonna song, whether you admit it or not. So here are the honorable mentions, and some of you are going to be disappointed because you're going to say, Steve, that was my favorite Madonna song. Well, you can make your own list. Your list would be wrong, but you can have your own list. But here are a handful of honorable mentions. Lucky Star, one of the ones that got it started for her. Cherish. Cherish is one, too, if I remember correctly. They, they, they let fans, like, make videos. If I remember this correct, they had a big contest. And, like, fans could make the videos. And then, like, the winning video became the video. for the. I think that's correct. And then Like a Prayer, we mentioned that. Open Your Heart, that was another one that drew a lot of... Uh, attention shall we say uh, borderline take a bow those are your honorable mentions for today so let's get into the madonna top 10 list number 10 holiday i think that was the first big hit that i remember regularly on the radio and one things i'll say too about madonna she had some very talented people around her not just people that kind of helped her mold an image but she had some very catchy and upbeat 
pop tunes. No question about it. So you had, you had this beautiful girl that could sing, and she wasn't operatic. I mean, she wasn't you know Celine Dion or anything like that or Mariah Carey, but she had a great pop voice. She had incredible fashion sense. And so there were a lot of young ladies that kind of emulated her image, especially in the beginning. You know, she had those oversized glasses and the big bows in her hair. And you look, I mean, you walk around North Park Mall and like there's a bunch of Madonna clones. And a lot of it started with, you know, songs like Borderline and Holiday. Number nine, this was probably the biggest smash ballad that she had, I, I would suspect. But it's crazy for you. It was number one everywhere. Everybody liked it. Every guy that was a teenager at the time wanted some girl to sing that song and think about him. There's probably some of us who still feel that way. Uh, Number eight, Into the Groove. If I'm not mistaken, this was off the Who's That Girl soundtrack. Get Into the Groove. It's a great dance song, too. That's one thing, too, is Madonna began to kind of mature as an artist as she got more towards the late 80s, early 90s. It was a lot more danceable stuff. It wasn't just pop radio stuff. She kind of pushed herself a little more into the dance scene and into the groove was, was really one of those songs. There's actually a, per, a couple of pretty good remixes out there of that track. Uh, number seven, Material Girl. Pretty typical for the time period. You know, the 80s were about excess, but, you know, the video was basically kind of emulating Marilyn Monroe. And a lot of people saw that video and it was like, all of a sudden, Madonna's all dressed up and you're like, Wow. You know, what a bombshell. Uh, number six, and this is a song that I think is uh, undervalued in the catalog. It's also off the Who's That Girl soundtrack, but it's uh, causing a commotion. It is outstanding. It is a great dance song. It is uh, a song, too, that I think is kind of just fun. You know, there are a lot of songs out there that are heavy and serious. This isn't one of them. That might even been off the Dick Tracy soundtrack. I can't recall for sure. I'm not the big Madonna fan like some of you guys are, like Blair Chandler. Um, but I really dig that one. Number four, excuse me, number five on the list. This is a song actually uh, written by Lenny Kravitz. Maybe you didn't know that. Maybe you didn't. And this was another one that was everywhere. It was in clubs. It was on the radio. It was in shopping centers. It's Justify My Love. It is an incredibly well-constructed song. The bass line is great. The vocal is kind of haunting. It was kind of a departure from a lot of things that she had done. I think, again, it's probably one of those hidden gems in the catalog a lot of people don't fully appreciate. Number four, and this is when uh, this is the Sean Penn era of Madonna's life. I think this is one of those songs, too, that uh, I don't know who wrote the song, and I didn't do the, go to the trouble of looking it up. But I think this is one of those songs, too, that's really, in many respects, very introspective. And I think it's something that you can kind of, you know, people think about, you know, adversity in life. And uh, it's Live to Tell. Number four on your list is Live to Tell. And uh, I think it's a very poignant song. And it's really... She has so much kind of silliness in the early catalog stuff. I mean, because she was kind of kind of silly in addition to all the other stuff about her. But this one kind of showed a more serious side of her. And I think it really demonstrated that she was really more than just a pop star, that she had the ability to kind of do some things that were a little more meaningful. Number three, talking of meaningful, 
when this video came out, a lot of people really upset, and there's not anything, there's nothing, there's no uh, innuendo or anything like of an adult nature in this video, but it was uh, basically talking about some social issues that a lot of people weren't ready to talk about in the United States. It's about teenage pregnancy. The name of the song is Papa Don't Preach, and you know, it's like, you know, she says, I made up my mind, I'm keeping my baby. And the whole thing is about basically, you know, a young lady gets pregnant out of wedlock and the family doesn't want her to keep the baby and, and she elects to do it. And there were so many people that were upset about the song, about the video, you know, about the messages, you know, and in some respects, it was a song about empowerment for young ladies, you know, and, and of course, I don't want to get political, but of course, there's the this is right in the middle of all the big abortion debate. And, and so a lot of people gave her a lot of backlash, basically saying she was advocating, you know, for teen pregnancy, which really wasn't the case. You know, it was just kind of a song about, you know, her life and her decisions. But um, it wasn't autobiographical, but it was one that really got people talking. There was a lot of dialogue that kind of came from this. And that's one of the things I think great art does whether you appreciate it or not, when things are provocative like this was and provocative in a thought-provoking way rather than in a, you know, a scandalous type way, because I mean, Madonna's done some things over the years that, you know, outrageous. Um, but this is one of those things that just kind of got people talking and it got young people talking to their parents about bigger social issues. And, you know, we were kids of the Cold War. That's what people don't understand. It's like today, like young people today, and I don't want to preach too much about this, but yeah, you know, I read some things sometimes on social media, and I just think, what did, what in the world had happened? You know, there was all this esprit de corps within our country, and it was always us against the Russians, and like, you know, like you you wanted your political candidate to win, but if they didn't, you still kept your friends, and you know, it's it is it's there's an insanity and a, almost a psychosis with some of this stuff today. But, you know, we all felt that, you know, hey, we were, we were Americans and we may disagree on a few social issues, but we were all still friends and co-workers and everything else. And there's so much tribalism today. It's, it's crazy. But back in those days, at least how it was for me and my friends in the, in the town that I grew up in, Columbia, Mississippi, is there was a certain level of respect between, you know, teenagers and their parents. And, and I was a bit of a rebellious teen but I, I kind of knew where the line was when I lived at home. And so when this song came out, you know, there was all this news coverage and everything else. And so then some people wanted to take it off the MTV. But they were, there were some conversations happening over the dinner table about values between parents and teenagers of the male and female variety that probably weren't happening before then. There were just certain things, especially in South Mississippi, you just didn't talk about with your family. And and much to our dismay, right? Much to our dismay. There were a lot of conversations that probably should have been had between parent and teenager. And in some respects, I look back at, at this, and I say this is something, while people didn't approve of it, promoted some dialogue it was very meaningful and needful in the country number two and there was nothing needful about this one this is just one of those fun songs and you can probably uh, go into some clubs in south florida and still hear this played in the first hour of a great night on the dance floor but it's number two it's vogue and and every one of you at some point is vogue in front of your mirror don't tell me you haven't you you've done it 
I don't, I don't care what you say. You've done it. I've done it. You've done it. I'll just admit it. I might even do it today. I might just go, when I get done with the show, I may just go Vogue in the mirror. But it's a great video. And I, honestly, I think the video is better than a song. But I love the beat. I love how danceable it is. But number one, and you know where we're going. Molly Crew recently rec- uh, covered this song, which is very ironic. But it's like a virgin. And again, this is another one of those songs that a lot of people weren't ready to talk about. Oh my gosh, what is she singing to these teenage girls? You know, that, that, was, that was the thought. And everybody's like, you know, listen, and let's be honest too. Madonna's a bit of an agent provocateur. You know, she does things at times that are a bit outlandish to try to, to generate some buzz, but also to generate some discussions. You remember she, she dated Dennis Robin for a while too. You know, I mean, two peas in a pod there. Um, but this wasn't really about teenage girls. This is obviously about, you know, a more experienced lady meeting a guy that made her feel special again. And it, it kind of got misconstrued in many respects because of the word virgin being in the song. It's like, oh my gosh, what's happening here? You know, and again, this wasn't, you know, an advocation, you know, for premarital sex, as some people would suggest. But um, again, while I was not a big Madonna fan, I have some songs that I think are really cool, and I think she's extremely talented. But I think more than anything else, the Madonna machine is impressive. Everything about it, and a lot of it was so well produced, and uh, she had so many people around it that were very talented that kind of kept her in the headlines. And uh, even her personal life and her dating life and things like that, she got involved in movies and she couldn't act. You know, it's like, it's incredible to think what a cultural icon she was in the United States. And she has always been one that has liked to push the envelope and promote conversation, even if it's to benefit her. But she kept her name in the papers. And so it's impossible to ignore, ignore what Madonna has done. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think there's anybody, I don't think she has a contemporary peer. I don't think there's anybody out there today. There are some people out there that uh, would like to kind of consider themselves in in the vein of Madonna. I just don't buy it. I, I just don't. I, I don't think there's anybody out there today. There are some people out there doing some you know, downright ridiculous stuff. But Madonna did it first. And I think, again, it was so well orchestrated. I think it proved to be very meaningful. And, and I don't think she has a peer. It's like we talk about, you know, Michael Jackson. I, I'm you know, I would say Michael Jackson, one of the greatest performers of all time. But when you start naming these performers, these iconic performers from my generation, you know, it's Prince, it's Madonna, it's Michael Jackson. I mean, that list is pretty small. And Madonna is on that list. And anybody that says otherwise is kind of being disingenuous. Incredibly talented, incredibly well marketed, uh, and really was involved in everything. And as she got a little bit older and more mature, she got involved in a lot of other things and uh, and did some good with her life as well. And so, again, Madonna is a bit of a character in many respects, and she played it in a very, very perfect way. That's today's top ten list. If you have an idea for the top ten list, reach out and let me know. We've got a bunch we're going to run through here. We're doing one on Monday. I'm going to give the final stamp of approval, but Elsa, Roy's daughter, is putting the list together. And, again, we're going to do – Another female vocalist, singer-songwriter, that is incredibly popular. My, my daughters will be very excited that we're doing this one. And before, before I give the list, the Boneyard uh, seal of approval, i got to let my girls look over it too. 
just to make sure that we don't have any obvious um, omissions because we want to do a good job on these lists. But this is an artist that I respect, but I don't know the catalog very much, and so I want to make sure that we do a good job. That's going to be Monday. Elsa's going to spend the weekend putting the list together, and then we'll give you the finished product on Monday. If you've got ideas, reach out and find me on social media at ScoutSteveR, and you can follow along with the, the list Roy Samante has a Twitter account at Dogmatic. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. You can also find him on Spotify and follow all of our great list there. And then we thank our good friend Izzy Mandelbaum, too, uh, for putting them out there on, on iTunes or Apple Music for everybody else, too. So we made this really easy for you guys to enjoy. And I will say, too, a lot of people said, Steve, you did Winger. Yeah, I did Winger. And guess what? Winger had over 11,000. How about that? How about that? So you can sit here and say, oh, well, Steve, you get Winger. Yeah. Yeah, we did. We did. We're not scared to do Winger. I'm eager to see what Madonna does. Elton John didn't do well at all. Stevie wanted it great. Elton John didn't do well. Eager to see what Madonna does. But you guys always seem to like 80s pop stars. And then you like metal. You really do. Whether you, you want to admit it or not. It's like people say rock is dead, but you go look at our top 10 list and the, and the world will tell you otherwise. The numbers don't lie. But again, reach out if you got ideas, let me know. We've had some really good ideas. Our buddy Nick always has some, uh, some creative ideas. And uh, one we're going to do one day next week, may do it on Wednesday, is uh, bands that have colors and their names in them. Best songs with bands that have colors in their name in them. And so I have thought about, we could do a couple things. We might make it a two-parter. We could do classic rock, and then we could do kind of obscure stuff that maybe maybe great songs that you, that you don't know or don't remember from bands that maybe you're not quite as familiar with. So we're thinking about that. That's another thing we're looking at for next week. So that, again, thanks to CloseTheBlair.com for sponsoring today's top 10 list. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. Campus Bookmart, a great place to shop, a great place to visit. I promise you, you're going to want to buy something when you go in there. You need as much maroon as you can get in your life, whether that be in your home, whether it be clothing, whether it be on your vehicle. Pretty safe to say the Mississippi State has some great merch. We want to rep the brand whenever we can. Pretty, pretty easy to do that at Campus Bookmart. And if you can't make it to town to go see Stan and Man, Miss Kathy Brown, and the lovely, talented Susie in all of her glory, you can visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll give you free shipping on all orders over $50. Visit them today, Campus Bookmart. .net, promo code BSR. All right, so late last evening, Nolan McCord announced that he was going into the NCAA transfer portal. Probably not a big surprise. And we absolutely wish him the best. The reality of it is, and I'll be honest with you, I read some social media comments that are a little bit unsettling. You know, this guy came in here and competed and really got pushed into the starting lineup due to injury. He did the best he could. It wasn't enough, but it's not like he went out there hoping to miss a field goal. He actually started his career three for three and ended nine of 16. And it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? When you start struggling, you get in your head a little bit, and then you miss. 
we have talked at length about uh, Mississippi State's kicking plans for the year, kind of retooling that kicking room. You know, Gabriel Placencia from College of San Mateo is headed this way. Happy to have him. Also, Texas State grad transfer Jake Bates, who is a kickoff specialist, will also be here. Now, Placencia is a guy that kind of competes at all three disciplines. He will give you some depth, but also two competition at all three spots. That's kickoff specialist, place-kicking specialist, and punting. Still expect State to take another kicker. Not sure when that goes public, but I still expect that to happen. So when you're bringing in three veteran kickers, if you're Nolan McCord, you got to think, you know what? I've already had my redshirt year. You know, even though the COVID year doesn't count against you, you redshirted last year and uh, went out and competed this year, made some kicks, scored 50 points, and they're bringing in all these veterans around me. You kind of see the writing on the wall. But I mentioned some of those social media comments. Like I've seen people like, oh, you know, good riddance and see it. That's not fair. It's, it's not. Nobody aspires to be mediocre. Nobody aspires to struggle. And again, we expected Brandon Ruiz to be the guy this year, and we're really excited to get him back. And then the poor guy couldn't stay healthy. And so Nolan McCord kind of thrust into the mix. And, uh, and the next thing you know, we've got some issues. And, you know, we all knew when you, we trotted him out there against Arkansas that field goal wasn't going to be good. Didn't get a great snap either. But the reality of it is, is you only get a short time in life to play sports, and Nolan McCord is elected to take his talents elsewhere. And so I wish him the absolute best. He is a, a very talented young man, even though perhaps the numbers don't reflect his true potential. I think he is going to be fine. I think he'll find a spot somewhere else, and he'll be better for this experience. And people would say, well, why wouldn't he stay and compete? Well, you know, if they're recruiting over me, if they're bringing in people to take my job, you know, maybe it's best for me to get a fresh start somewhere. And so, again, I wish him the absolute best. Uh, we, we did scouting reports yesterday on Jackie Matthews and Jordan Mosley. After watching those guys, I really like them. I like Jackie Matthews a little bit better right now because he is more of a polished player. And he's a guy that will make you better as a football team in 2022. This defense needs an edge in a secondary. You need some guys that can make the big hit. You need some guys – that kind of punish pass catchers when they cross the middle. And I think that's what you get with Jackie Matthews. If you go watch that film, it's available on Huddle from his time at Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Now, he played some at corner, played some at safety, and he was a corner at West Virginia. So he'll have some cover skills that the average safety maybe doesn't have. But he also brings a physicality that I don't know that we have returning at safety and we know that we've got to go out there and get some guys uh, to come in and really compete and possibly take over those starting positions I think Jackie Matthews is certainly capable of doing that now earlier today Marcus Banks mother tweets out there on the way to Starkville that's good that's what we expected uh, the reality of that situation is state has had to continue to recruit him even though he was committed the good thing is he hadn't played in the games now I, I know there let me just say this for a factual basis that there have been a number of schools that have continued to either contact him or contact the University of Alabama to inquire about his services. The day that he committed to Mississippi State, hours before that, he was leaning to Miami. And then Jason Washington, Darcel McBath, got him redirected. Now he's headed here. 
He's on his way to Starkville now. Not exactly sure when they'll arrive this evening, but they'll be here. And once he enrolls in classes, things are done. It's official. There is no national letter of intent to sign for transfers. They'll sign the financial aid agreement. They'll sign the acceptance of the offer. There's really only two documents they sign. But once they enroll in school, it's over. There probably needs to be a provision that those guys can sign a national letter of intent whenever they wanted to. Whenever they make a decision, they should be able to, to sign and, and terminate the recruiting process. That was one of the things that you know, some of the decision and policymakers in the NCAA said, hey, well, we want to give this early signing period to let people that uh, you know, want to get the process over with the opportunity to do that. But they haven't afforded that same option to transfers. And so Marcus Banks, that's a big get for Mississippi State. When you begin to think about cornerback recruiting, you know, we talked, we, we worried about that throughout the year. Didn't recruit well at corner last year. We didn't. That's just, you know, there's no other way to say it. We didn't do a great job last year and uh, actually, you know, dropped a couple of kids and uh, probably should have kept at least one of them. But this year you get Aldavian Collins, who I think is a, a very undervalued prospect. I think he will be a good player at Mississippi State. Then you add Marcus Banks to the mix and you get to Carlos Nicholson. So you get one of your primary high school targets, you get your number one junior college target, and you get your number one transfer target. So we can say Darcel McBath and that group did a great job at corner. Now we'd like to add another high school corner. And so the next couple of weeks you're going to see some of those guys take official visits to Mississippi State. Some new names that will pop up. New evaluations. Now that the season's over, and it may be a situation where maybe it's not a high school corner, maybe it's a guy kind of like uh, Jordan Mosley. Maybe you go get a young guy at the portal with three or four years of eligibility remaining. And that's one of the things that I would say about Mosley that's interesting to me is he redshirted this year, but he has the benefit of a full year in a Power 5 college weight room and – he has been through a full year and a full season of college football practice. And so he kind of understands what's expected. He appeared in three games this year, so he preserves the redshirt year. So State is kind of getting a super freshman. What I mean by that is you still have four years to work, but he already has the benefit of having gone through the rigors of a Power 5 football season. He kind of understands what's expected. So he won't be quite as bright-eyed when he gets here. This is a guy that will hit the ground. I, th I think will hit the ground running. Does he play a lot this year? Probably not. But I think that he is a guy that you look at and you say it's a no-brainer to take him. as a former four-star out of McGill Tulin in Mobile, Alabama. Yesterday, Baylor transfer wide receiver R.J. Sneed on the Mississippi State campus. Now, I, I was told late last night he was headed to Colorado today for a visit that he'll make a decision early next week. And R.J. Sneed's a guy we haven't talked a lot about. Began to kind of get some rumblings earlier in the week that there was another receiver out there that could visit, find out that it's R.J. Sneed. Now, I feel really good about where things stand. I don't feel great. If, now, if he had canceled his visit to Colorado, I would feel great. I still think State is in a good position with him. Decisions expected early next week. Of course, we start class on the 18th. So he can't uh, dilly-dally around for very long. Of course, they've got up until the drop ad date before they have to declare. But uh, I, I suspect that we'll have a decision sooner rather than later. I, I like the fact that State had the staff here, and he was the only visitor. And so you could focus your full energy on him 
And you can also get out there and say, hey, look at what we did for Makai Polk. And Makai Polk was an undervalued, underutilized receiver at Cal, and he comes here and sits a school record in receptions with 105. And unfortunately, he's leaving us. But the reality of it is, is like, hey, that, that could be you. You, you want to up your stock in the eyes of pro scouts? Well, we can help you do that. This is the guy that's caught, you know, 40, 45 passes a year the last three years and was one of the captains at Baylor. So this is obviously a guy that will be good in the weight room, good in the locker room, and good on the field. And so that is very much on the wish list near the top is to get a guy like R.J. Snead. And I, I think we have to go get another receiver that can be an impact guy this year. It's like I like the Jordan Mosley get. I think he makes you a much better football team long term. I don't know how much he helps you this year. R.J. Snead helps you this year. There's no question about that. You go get him, you feel really good, uh, you know, about life. And so we're kind of working through this. So we're beginning to kind of check some boxes now. You got the corner situation resolved. You've got one of the safety spots filled. We need another safety. Need another guy, a veteran guy that can get in here and compete. You had some receivers leave. You basically trade Quentin Torber for Jordan Mosley. You got Makai Polk leaving, and maybe you trade him for R.J. Snead. And I don't know if that if that's a plus or minus differential deal for Mississippi State, but you get a veteran guy like that that's, that's been accomplished at the Power 5 level. I think you feel good about the direction of things. Still got to get an offensive lineman out there. Now, Tremont Shorts visited earlier this week. Visit went good. Paul Jones had a recap with him. Uh, he's at LSU. There's talk about him headed to Virginia this weekend, but I, I'm told that visit may or may not happen. And then he'll decide early next week. Now, what I'm told, too, you know, is he is a guy, too, that's a bit of a country kid. You know, he's a guy that likes to hunt and fish, likes to be outside. So that favors us a little bit, too. LSU, of course, is having to retool the entire offensive line. They're bringing in a handful of grad transfers and four-year transfer type guys this weekend. What does that mean for shorts? You know, he is being recruited as a priority here. He is being recruited as part of a priority there. Their priority is to find some guys that can kind of be a stopgap while they install their system and get some young guys up to speed. You know, we're going out and trying to get him because we are returning most of our offense and we need a guy that can come in here and play. Now, Shorts is a guy that can play up and down the line, being recruited by some to play a center. We have talked with him about playing right tackle or playing one of the guard spots. And so let's say he comes in during the spring, it doesn't work at right tackle. Well, then we'll plug him in at left guard and slide Cam Jones out to right tackle. That's how that works. But he's the guy that gives you some versatility. He gives you options. And so if you can get him, you'll feel good about that. And so I was on the Bill Bowden show this morning. They asked me to rank the priorities. I think getting a safety is probably priority one. And then you uh, then you look at, uh, you know, going and getting a – wide receiver, and then an offensive tackle. And you say, well, Steve, you know, we've lost both tackles. That's true. But you have Percy Lewis coming in, the number one junior college offensive tackle in the country. And, yes, there is a learning curve. But then there's also Albert Reese on your campus that you expect to be a future tackle for you. So, worst-case scenario, you have somebody that can play there. You know, I don't know if we can get to 10 wins next year without another impact safety. I think you've got to have another guy out there because there are going to be some games we're going to have to make some plays. And, you know, you go back and just think about the Arkansas game. You know, we we're play a little bit better in the secondary there, it's a different game. You play a little better in the secondary against Ole Miss, it's probably a different game. Our safeties got picked apart by Ole Miss. They did. 
there's no other way to say it. And so you've got to go out there and get it. So I feel like safety is probably the top priority. And you could still probably win a lot of games with the wide receiver group we have. But if you can get a guy like R.J. Snead out there, I think, again, that makes that unit better. Not to mention, too, with so many young guys, too, it's good to bring in another guy that knows how to work. You know, Mason Brooks is a guy we chased for a while from Western Kentucky. A lot of discussion. He was going to go to Texas Tech. And now he may be considering going somewhere else. And he did not visit Mississippi State. Last I've heard is it looks like Auburn is the leader. I know Ole Miss hosted in Miss Weeks. They're still in the mix, too. Uh, so it could be Auburn or Ole Miss for them. But he will not be Mississippi State. There's some other high school guys out there on the offensive line we're recruiting. So when it's all said and done, we're going to sign at least five five high school offensive linemen. If we get shorts – then that gives you some flexibility. Maybe you don't use another scholarship on an offensive lineman. Maybe you use it at another position on offense. There's still some moving parts to all of this. Now, we're not going to host any official visitors this weekend unless something has changed in the past maybe 12 hours. you got two more big weekends, and uh, we will do that. We will work to uh, get some high school guys, too. There's a lot of schools out there that are kind of all in on the portal, that's not really the case with us. We're still recruiting some high school guys. You got to get some guys in a developmental pipeline, and that includes, you know, getting a uh, probably another high school corner uh, to kind of get them in the mix because that that room there is a little bit of a disparity there. There's not a lot of balance on that depth chart, and so that's one of the things that we'll have to kind of work through too, is uh, finding another high school guy. I've heard some really good things about William Hardrick. You know, he was a former Arkansas State commitment. And kind of a questionable take, but uh, he has done some good things and uh, is a guy, too, that's kind of figured it out. And Jay Hampton's situation is a little bit different. Do we move him to wide receiver? Maybe. That's what he played in high school. And he's a guy that's a, you know, got a big catch radius and a bit of a long strider. He has kind of been up and down at times at corner, but he is still learning the position. So we'll see what happens, you know, with him. Um, again, that was one of those developmental guys we took late – because we needed some high school guys to kind of come in and develop. And there are other guys, some guys develop and others don't. So we'll see how things progress there. But uh, they're still out there chasing some players, still recruiting some running backs as well. But the class, in many respects, is kind of beginning to to close down. We've only got a handful of spots left. We know the priority positions in the portal, and we know the priority positions uh, with in the high school ranks so state will sign some more high school players and here's the thing about that too i think it's important i don't know if you can consistently build a school or a football program being um, incredibly dependent on the portal and i understand everybody's like oh we'll get the portal, the portal. you know you hit about 50 percent and a lot of these guys are one-year guys. And so if you go out and you allocate a scholarship to somebody, and maybe they're a two-year guy, and they can't contribute, because there's a reason these guys are in the portal. And, it, and it's a, this year you can kind of put a disclaimer on that because we had so many guys last year that did not get the benefit of official visits or uh, the chance to go meet with coaches face-to-face. And I talked about that on the show many times, that I felt like the NCAA prohibition – on off-campus recruiting last year was going to fill the portal up. Well, we're seeing it happen. And you go back and look at a guy like Jordan Mosley. He was committed to Tennessee much of the process. And then, of course, things change in Knoxville, and it's a mess up there. And then next thing you know, Jordan Mosley elects a decommit from Tennessee. Did they drop him? Did he drop them? Don't know. 
But late, he picked Northwestern, and he went up there. Now, all of a sudden, the portal gives him a chance to kind of reboot and reset his recruitment. Now, all of a sudden, he's back closer to home and playing in the SEC, which is what he wanted to do all along. So that's a better situation probably for everybody involved. But there are a lot of other guys out there that are kind of stuck somewhere. You know, not everybody has the ability of Jordan Mosley. Not everybody has the, the ability to go put your name in the portal and all of a sudden field Power 5 offers. I think that's an important part of things, too. There are a lot of guys that go in the portal just kind of hoping to get lucky. They don't have any film. And that's like I think of a guy like Quentin Torber, who I really like. He is a really nice young man. But he's got nothing on film. He's got three years in our program, and really all he has to show schools is practice film. And so unless you're like a McNeese State, you know, or a Southern U or something like that, you're an FCS school, you know, do you take a chance on a guy like that? If you're an FBS school, do you say, okay, this guy was in an SEC program for three years and never saw the field, so what's going to happen with him? What are you going to do? He's already used up too much eligibility to go to junior college, so where's he going to go? So, you know, that's, that's the trade-off in all this that I think sometimes people forget, for sure. And so what's going to happen? You know, you hope he finds a spot, but chances are it's not going to be in the Power 5 level because he's already proven that he couldn't get on the field here. And it's not like a Joe Burrow situation where he was one of these highly coveted players that kind of got buried on a depth chart and uh, was still had some, you know, some gas in the tank. But uh, you hope that guy gets an opportunity somewhere. But the reality of it is, is not everybody that goes in the portal comes out. There are a lot of guys that go in there looking at a better situation and don't. And, again, that's an adult decision. You risk what you have hoping to get something else, and then what do you do when you don't get that opportunity? It's tough, man. It really is. you got to finish up school. you got to go get student loans like everybody else. Find a way to pay for it all. Get your degree so you can get out there in the workforce as an educated employee and find a way to make a good living for yourself. You know, sometimes the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And, and let's be honest, too, there, there's sometimes, too, if you're a young man, there are some guys that are content, like in high school, just to kind of get their letterman's jacket and walk down the hallway because it makes them feel a little bit better about themselves, whether they contribute on the field or not. You know, some of that carries over. There are some guys who are like, you know what, hey, I'm having a great time here. They're paying for my education. I can go down to the Cotton District and have a good time. I can go to all these fraternity parties, and I can dance with a pretty girl, and, hey, life is good. And then maybe one day your coach sits you down and says, you know what, here's the deal. You know, you're welcome to stay, but, you know, I don't know if you've looked around, you know, this meeting room, but we got this guy, this guy ahead of you. We got these guys coming in. And to be honest with you, uh, they're better players, you know, and so you got to kind of figure this thing out. And so if you want to play, you're probably going to have to leave. You know, those conversations happen. Of course, you can't pull a scholarship based on athletic performance. A lot of people don't understand that. But the reality of it is, is guys know. They know. They're in practice every day. They know. They know that other guys around them are better. And you begin to realize, you know what, barring a couple of injuries, I'm not going to see the field. And so if you really want to play, sometimes you got to go get in the portal. So we'll see how things progress. But uh, I'm excited about kind of what's happening right now. You know, we've had 10 guys go in the portal now with McCord going in. And uh, as it stands today, you know, we've got a handful of transfers coming in. We'll have a few more. Don't be surprised if State doesn't save a scholarship or two to kind of see what happens after the spring. 
because we're going to have kind of a, you know, a, you know, another round of this in some respects post spring practice. It'll be people that will go through spring and kind of realize that they haven't improved their positioning on the depth chart, and so they will, um, you know, they'll decide then it's time to go. So I think it's important to understand that too, and maybe it's smart, you know, to save a scholarship or two. And I think State will probably do that. You know, there may be a best available player that comes around and then you go get them. Because there's going to be players – the thing about over-signing and gray-shirting and things like that that used to happen all the time, this conversation that I had, you know, with some of your coaches back then, it's like when you start reaching for those guys late, it limits your ability to sign guys of equal or better talent next year. You know, that's the thing you think about. It's like, okay, we start chasing these numbers and you begin to think, okay, if you had a full 25 to work with, would you take this guy? Well, maybe not. If you had a full year to recruit, would you take this guy? Well, probably not. If you wouldn't take him then, you probably shouldn't take him now. And so you got to be careful with reaches later in the process. And as you guys know, with this early signing period, you got a lot of kids that are getting a lot of offers late because schools are somewhat getting desperate. And so they're kind of being over-recruited and overvalued as prospects. And then they get on campus and, and you realize there's a reason these guys didn't sign in December. There's a reason. Doesn't always work out. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by our friends at Portico. You know, Brooks Bryan is my friend. He's your friend. Uh, he's everybody's friend. He's a friend of Mississippi State. He's a friend to Starkville, part of a great group of folks that are bringing a wonderful residential development to Starkville, and it's it's halfway here. Phase one is already complete. Everything's sold. Phase two under construction. It's an exciting time. And here's the deal. If you want to be a part of it, you can have some say in picking your lot, picking your house plans, be part of that decision-making process, kind of get things the way you want it. You know, sometimes you go buy a house and you kind of got to make the best of it. You know, that's not the case. Whether you're going to get a two-bedroom, three-bedroom, four-bedroom, four-bath house, they can get you taken care of. Very easy to find. You turn off 82 on a 12 right by campus. The very first ride is Pat Station Road. That'll take you. That'll take you to Portico. 1.1 miles from campus. Easy access to 82, 12, and 25. And you got that great neighborhood market right across the way from you there. So if you forget to pick up that loaf of bread, container of milk, or stick of butter, you can swing in there and get it quick. Not have to go fight the traffic at the big Walmart, right? There are features. There are benefits. That's your benefit. The feature is you're conveniently located to campus. The benefit is is um is that you're close to the things you love it's easy to handle so give our friend brooks a call he can get you lined up 601-416-8075 again that's 601-416-8075 make portico your next move maybe you have forgotten i have not Mississippi State won the College World Series last year and was crowned national champions for the first time. We will begin our defense of that national championship in about five weeks. Long Beach State will be in town February 19th. So you have a chance to enjoy Valentine's Day, have dinner with your sweetheart, and then come to Dirty Noble Field to watch us play a really good Long Beach State team. It's going to be a good early test for us. So... The question everybody has is, okay, well, Steve, what are we going to do about pitching? Well, here's the deal. We're still figuring all these things out. And you still got a few weeks to figure it out, to settle the rotation. So, you know, we're in 
the spring semester soon, and so we will start, you know, spring practices in full in full fury. You know, we'll be ready to go. Now, let's run some things down here really quick. The first thing I'll tell you, I think Landon Sims is without a doubt the Friday night starter. People say, well, Steve, oh, my gosh. Listen, I get it. I get it. You know, we, if we could ever get to the seventh or eighth inning with the lead, it was a dub, right? I mean, that's just how it was. Landon Sims outstanding for Mississippi State, but he's always been a starter. And if he's going to be a big league pitcher, he's going to have to start. And people forget, too, you know, Landon Sims came in here, you know, kind of as a hard-throwing guy, and he really struggled his first year. He did. He was really up and down. Then all of a sudden he becomes one of the premier closers in all college baseball. I would say, you know, him and him and Cops from Arkansas were the best two last year. I don't think anybody can debate otherwise. Then there's Preston Johnson. He's a former starter himself at the Kapai Academy at Hines and, uh, you know, was kind of the setup guy last year and the first guy of the bullpen. Does he stay in that role? Maybe he does. Maybe he does. Maybe he becomes a Saturday starter. I don't know. We'll figure all that out. I want to run through some of these other right-handers too. Uh, K.C. Hunt could be the closer. You know, K.C. was a guy that had a pretty good summer. And uh, there are a lot of people that think that KC's ready to make the jump. You know, KC is a guy at times that struggle with control, but when he is on, he has been electric. And I think it's time for him to kind of step up and, and maybe take a role and take ownership of that and say, listen, I'm not going to be just kind of a part-time midweek guy. It's time for me to roll. Brandon Smith, the sinker baller, a senior, He's a guy that he could factor on the weekends, or he could be a closer. He could be a reliever. He could be the first guy to bullpen. He's a guy that gives you some options. I'm eager to see what Foxhall is going to do with him. Now, a lot of people looked at numbers from fall baseball and are like, oh, well, Brandon did this. So Brandon was working with some different stuff, experiment a little bit with some pitches, you know, and that's a big part of this thing too is you get guys like him that give you, again, options, some versatility. Now, Cade Smith – I'm a huge Cade Smith fan, huge. Just got to stay healthy. Is he a factor on Sundays? Is he a factor on Saturdays? Is he a midweek guy? Is he a weekend guy? I think he certainly has SEC weekend stuff. You know, he pitched really well for us in Omaha. You know, we kind of threw him out there, let him get some innings to save some arms, you know, for some other games. And I thought Cade performed really well. Cade actually looked pretty good in Hoover too. And so maybe, maybe we've gotten him healthy. You know, I know we had some uh, off-season stuff shortly after the College World Series, but maybe we're kind of getting there, and he's a guy that can really contribute. Stone Simmons is a guy, too, that did some big things for State last year. You know, Stone Simmons is a guy, too, that, you know, we went and played Vanderbilt, and at that time people thought Vanderbilt had one of the most potent lineups in the, in the country, and after watching our guys pitch against him, I didn't know that I agreed. Stone did a really good job against Vanderbilt. Kind of, we, we stayed with him an inning too long, but Stone is another guy, too. It's a former starter. He could be a factor, too. Is he your Sunday guy? Don't know. Jack Walker, true freshman from Lake Charles, Louisiana, Barb High School. They're a baseball factory down there. Jack Walker, of course, the Louisiana Gatorade Player of the Year. We've been there before, right? But Jack is a guy, too, that uh, a little bit undersized, not real prospecty. You know what I mean? He's not the big 6'2", 6'3", strapping, hard-throwing right-hander. He comes in at 5'11", but the guy simply gets guys out. He will be a factor somewhere, too. Is it in the midweek this year? Probably. But I think he is a guy down the road maybe you look at as a weekend guy. 
Jackson Fristo has the makings of an SEC starter. You know, he, he had some deals last year where he looked really good. He kind of got in his head a little bit. But Jackson Fristo has an electric fastball. If he can continue to throw a breaking ball, you know, for a strike, he is going to be electric. He, of course, could be a factor on Sundays too. You know, they probably pushed him out last year and made him pitch before he was ready, kind of out of necessity. You know, you remember he had to pitch, you know, the very first weekend out in Texas because of, uh, you know, Sarantola wasn't available. So we, you know, we had Houston Harding and Jackson Fristo out there, and I thought Fristo got there and really competed. Parker Stinnett could also be a factor in the closing role. The guy has a hammer curve that uh, few have seen. And it's difficult to lay off of. When he is able to command that, he is unhittable. When people are able to lay off of it and let it go in the dirt, he's going to walk a lot of people. And so control has been the issue with him, but he is electric. He did cut the hair, which I'm not a big proponent of. But uh, I think Parker said that obviously will be one of those guys on the back end that can get you from a lead into the locker room with a W. Mikey Tepper. I'm a Mikey Tepper fan. I, I, listen, this is a guy I think has starting potential. This is another guy, too, obviously was very highly recruited out of Fort Mill, South Carolina. Pitched a little bit for us last year. I think he takes a jump this year. I think that's a step that we'll see with him. Uh, Bradley Wilson's a freshman uh, from West Lawrence High School out in Georgia. I don't know much about him other than he is a big kid. 6'3", 230 pounds. Uh, Drew Talley didn't pitch a lot last year, of course, uh, out of Wallace State. We'll see kind of what his uh, – his role will end up being on the team. But again, that's that's your right-handers. You got some left-handers to deal with too. We don't I don't know that we have enough. But Pico Cohn is a guy too that a lot of people are excited about. 6'4", 200 pounder out of Chilton County High School over there in Alabama. People thought he might go in a draft. You guys got pro potential. So we'll see where he factors in. And again, this is a big, big, long-limbed pitcher that uh, is a guy, too, that probably needs to add a pitch. And that's what Scott Foxhall will work with him on. You know, it's like, hey, we probably need to learn to kind of simplify the breaking ball, change speeds a little bit. But this is a guy that's got a lot of potential. Cole Cheatham is another big left-hander out of Ardmore, Alabama, 6'3", 185, another guy that was highly recruited. Taylor Montiel, kind of the same situation at a Brentwood Academy. You know, it's again, that neck of the woods, they play a really good brand of baseball. And then there's Andrew Walling. That's a guy that – I said last year, and on the message boards, people were like, who's the one guy that's projected to go pro that you think we may get? And I said, Wilding, and people couldn't believe it. Um, and it worked out. He's here. And, and he showed up in the fall, and he's a little bit banged up. You know, the issue with him is he wants to be a starter. He wants to prove to pro scouts that he can start. A lot of people in pro football, excuse me, pro football, pro baseball, they look at him and say, hey, this guy's going to be a reliever. And so that's kind of what we're battling with. He will have a role. We got to get his control under 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 control, shall we say? This is a guy that throws it really hard. He can whip it around pretty good. And when he's on top of that breaking ball, the way that he spots it up, it's going to be a big swing and miss for you. And of course, Cam Tuller last year pitched some big innings for us. And if I'm not mistaken, it was one weekend he was in all three games. The guy's a machine. Up and down a little bit at times last year but a guy that we're going to need uh, to come in and make some plays for us, for sure. So I share that with you because I think it's important to kind of understand this is still a work in progress, and everybody kind of gets a little nervous, you know, about Landon Sims moving to Friday. I get nervous too. 
I do because I'm so comfortable with him in that role. But I also think what's best for the team. So who's your Friday night guy if it's not Landon Sims? I don't think there's anybody that really jumps off the page right now that you say, okay, yeah, that guy's a definite Friday night guy. Just don't think that's the case. Then you look at it and say, okay, well, hey, well what, what about your Saturday guy? You know, is it Preston? Is it Kate Smith? You know, we'll see. The one thing that I have learned is that Scott Foxhall knows what he's doing. And he's got some very talented guys to work with. And one thing that I'll say about Scott is when you, when you talk to Scott on or off the record, he cares about his kids, not just as athletes, but as people. We talked at length last year about Eric Sarantola after the season. Scott Foxhall loves Eric Sarantola, and Eric Sarantola loves Scott Foxhall. Now, Eric obviously didn't get to pitch as much as he wanted to. Still got drafted relatively high uh, in comparison to his performance. But Scott Foxhall still believes that Eric Sarantola is going to be a big leaguer someday. And when all that stuff happened last year at Omaha, and he gets invited to the Combine, he goes to Scott Foxhall and says, hey, I've been invited to the Combine, and I'm not going to go if it makes it look look like I'm not committed to this team. I'm not going to go if my teammates are going to think that I bailed on them for something selfish. And Scott Foxhall managed it so beautifully. He's like, Eric, everybody loves you. He said, your teammates love you. Wasn't even on the roster. Wasn't even going to pitch. He goes, Eric, nobody's going to think any less of you for going to the combine. He goes, so you go. He goes, and you know what? Then you come on back. You come on back and be a part of this. And he did. And Sarantilla goes out to the combine and lights it up. Now, Foxhall could have been one of those guys, too. Was like, oh, you know, you need to be here for this. He wasn't. You know, he cares about his kids. And because I know that he cares about them, that's why he's not going to put Landon Sims in a situation that doesn't help Landon and help Mississippi State. And so we, we always have these discussions. We'll trust the coaches. Well, we don't have any choice. We talked about that on Gene's Pedro earlier today. You know, we don't have any choice but to trust them. We can make all the tweets and message board posts in the world. It's not going to change anything. But the reality of it is, is you have one of the best coaching staffs in all of college baseball. They're going to know how to manage the situation, and the SEC West is going to be wild. And we're going to start previewing some of that here in the weeks to come. What does the SEC look like? We're going to start breaking some teams down, kind of looking at what the standings should look like. Uh, I think the West is absolutely wide open. And just to kind of give you a preview of that, Arkansas is going to be really good again. Shocker, right? Got some young pitchers they're really proud of. And they returned some pieces. They lost a lot, too. Now, they'll take a step back. They're not going to be number one team in the country. But as long as Dave Van Horn is there, Arkansas is going to be good. They're going to be competitive. They're going to be blue-collar in your face. They're going to be teams that are going to be very difficult to beat. Ole Miss is going to be able to swing it. Are they going to be able to pitch it? But they're going to be one of the best offensive teams in the SEC, if not the country. LSU going to be able to swing it. And they're going to play a ton of games at that softball field they call Alex Box Stadium. So they're going to put up some gaudy offensive numbers. And what are you going to do on the road? That's going to be the big dividing uh, situation for LSU is how are they going to play away from Alex Box? They've had some arms transfer in. They lost a ton of pitching last year, but they had some arms transfer in. Jay Johnson, again, one of the great coaches in the game. LSU's going to be better. And Mississippi State's going to be good. And I think any of those four teams could win the SEC West. I think any of those four teams could potentially win the SEC. I just don't think, like when you look at Ole Miss, I don't think they're going to have the pitching to pull that off. And I don't know that Arkansas is going to have the offense to pull that off. LSU, there's a lot of, you know, you throw a bunch of new pieces in there. How do they gel together as a team? And so it's going to be very interesting. 
you know, Auburn was a team that was kind of built to win last year. They hit the portal kind of hard this year. So, you know, what are they going to be? Alabama will be a little bit better. They return a lot of pieces. Um, and so it's going to be a wild year in the West, and every game is going to matter more than ever because you're just not going to be able to have a Missouri weekend like we did last year. You're not going to be able to drop series like that. And, of course, that ultimately cost us a share of the SEC championship. And you can say, well, Steve, we won the NFL championship. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But that was on us. We could have done that too. Now, do we move up in the, in the rankings? You know, we move up in the, the, top, the, the, you know, the top eight national seeds? Maybe. Maybe. But, you know, after we lose to Missouri and then have that horrible week at, out in Hoover, a lot of people were leaving that team, you know, dead and buried and we ended up winning an NFL championship. And, again, it's because you've got a coaching staff that knows what they're doing. So, yeah, it's important to trust the coaches. You know, it, it saves you a lot of anxiety and grief. So we're about two weeks away now from Dogpile being released. You can order today at dogpilethebook.com. They're not released yet. I still get people that say, hey, where's my book? Well, you know, I've said it countless times. It's not released yet. But the uh, printer is expected to ship to the publisher on or around the 26th. That'll take a couple of days. And then I'll go run down to Jackson. I'll sign your books. And that'll take a couple of days. And then they'll be in the mail. that will take a couple of days. So somewhere around the first part of February, you should have your book. So... Excited to get them done. It's taken way longer than it ever has for any other books because of all these supply chain issues. And so you don't think that stuff is real until it happens to you. It's real. They've already uh, scheduled a reprint too. Already, that's, that's already in the mix because we don't want to run out of books. We know you guys want the books. We're getting new orders every single day from bookstores, from individuals. And so the reality of it is we expect this book to skyrocket to number one and probably stay there for a while and uh, certainly appreciate all of that with all of you, but um, we're going to do everything we can to make sure that we can avoid these supply chain issues as much as we can because, guys, it's going to take about four months to get books printed. The good thing is this one's already finished, you know, so hopefully that'll save us a few days here or there, but uh, it's not going to be like it was before where we can, you know, get a book printed in six weeks. We're looking at four months, and so got to forecast that as best we can. So I'd encourage you if you want to get the first printing, you need to get on the stick and, uh, and get that order in. That's dogpiledebook.com. While you're there, you get signed copies of Flim Flam, Alpha Dogs, and Stark Villains. If you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, you can find it at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksandMegan.com, or through your local bookstore. And again, had some people message me just this week, where do I get my Stark Villain hoodie? Very simple. Go to StarkVillains.com. You get T-shirts and hoodies in a variety of styles and colors right there. Very happy to partner with those fine folks there. That's going to do it for today. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. 
And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.